This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive to win and expensive. I got expensive to win and expensive. I've been out of work. And welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down. This is Kevin Hill. I'm your host as always, and this is the Freight Sales Podcast for closers here in the freight industry. We talk to freight brokers, carriers, and freight tech companies, and we have a wonderful freight tech company here joining us today. It is PackSafe, and we have Ilya Preston. He is uh, the CEO and founder, co-founder of, of PackSafe. Co-founder. Co-founder of, of PackSafe, and uh, I'll let him really dive into details of what they do because it is hard for me to explain myself. the uh, The elevated pitch of it, though, is it is kind of like metadata that you take all of this visibility data in, and you take it one step above that to to be able to make business decisions and predict things based on this transactional data this local data this micro data takes it to a macro level is that is that a good way to, to say it i'm probably butchering this all over the place i think we have a, a spot on our growth team for you in the future <laughs> no that's that's pretty spot on so we we consider ourselves to be the operating system for cold chain visibility control towers when we say cold chain that's effectively anything that's being shipped through the supply chain that has a, a sensitivity to temperature or humidity, right? So two, two major markets come to mind, life sciences, food and beverage. Um, we are a, this device agnostic AI enabled risk management platform that helps companies reduce product loss, improve operational efficiency, and make smarter business decisions with regards to their supply chain network decision making. And one way to put that is you have 100 trucks delivering all with visibility attached to it. And maybe 80 locations, 100 locations, whatever that may be. So you have all of this micro data. So you're aggregating that to give bigger macro patterns to what's going on to where then you can predict what is about to happen, whether that's good or bad. I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. So we we go typically we go down to um, at least the pallet level, in some cases, the product level. So a lot of our platform capabilities. We, we've really got two parts of our platform. One is geared towards passive risk and prediction. And when I say passive, that's based off of non-real-time data loggers, temperature data loggers, very old school stuff. Um, but the majority of the capabilities within the platform is geared towards new age, real-time IoT. And specifically in our kind of initial focus um, target market segments, pharma being, being the big one, mm-hmm. Um, you know, pharma is, is very quickly migrating from passive data loggers to real-time IOT. So depending on the company, um, it, for some products, it's literally tracked at the payload level, the drop in IOT devices at the payload level. Um, in a lot of cases, it's, it's at the pallet level and different companies will have different SOPs as to how many pallets per truck 
need to be tracked typically at very strategic points within the truck. Yeah, we, we bring in all of this data. We've got three modules pertaining to our platform. The first module is it contextualizes this data. It contains a series of almost like classification models that help companies understand root cause behind why the things in the supply chain are happening the way that they're happening. So, um, you know, instead of just understanding, hey, you have a temperature excursion, it's much better to understand here's why you have a temperature excursion. Is it insufficient thermal life on the package? Is it a malfunctioning reefer? Is it truck doors open for too long? Um, that really helps quality managers after the fact. After the excursion has happened, they have to do these really long labor-intensive RCA process, root cause analysis processes, these corrective action procedures that they have to put into place. That helps them automate a lot of their manual work. Number two is we quantify risk throughout the network on both a lane and a shipment basis. And number three is we, um, we effectively predict adverse events before they occur. Uh, specifically pertaining to late deliveries and uh, temperature excursions, and, and the temperature excursions, right? And, and you you listed up listed out some factors, and those factors are very varied, down to the, the manufacturing floor. That that could be the root cause of of that temperature excursion, right? It's it's not the driver or the, the refrigerated unit that it's going on or where it's warehouse. It could be it could be the packaging as well. It, it could be any number of reasons, and be able to. And I say that because then you have manufacturing, you have packaging, you have transportation, you have storage, these different departments all trying to figure it out. And um, we've all been in large organizations and usually one or one department's pointing the finger at the other one. Um, it's just normal office politics. So having some data to, yes, exactly. Yeah, every, everyone is pointing fingers at one another. Um, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. So being able to, to, to have data behind to to, to pre- not to predict it but to, to to dig through and find that that root cause is something that provides ROI to your investment in visibility to begin to go, begin with right that's exactly right and, and I don't know that root cause necessarily in and of itself is the driver in search of that ROI sure. I think you know in the pharma space for for from what we're seeing you know pharmaceutical companies as I mentioned they 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 roll out these real-time visibility programs, right? With these fantastic sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sensor companies do a great job of getting the dots on the map, live streaming location and condition, right? And, and the, there's, there's almost this false perception on the pharma side that once I, once I transition my lanes from passive, old-school, non-real-time data loggers to real-time data, and now I can see all this real-time information... All of my on-time info failures are just going to go away. There, there's going to be no more deliveries, no more temperature excursions, no more damaged product. And, and there's this flawed assumption that um, you know that that this happens, and and very quickly they realize that that's not the case. All of these issues that exist in the supply chain are, are just merely illuminated by all these devices. And, and there's this realization that's like, you know, none of this data is really all that actionable or operational to me. So now I have to bring on data analysts to interpret all of this device data and potentially marry it up to third-party data and basically make recommendations to my leadership that then leadership can actually make actual network trade-off decisions or network decisions within their supply chains. Um, There's, you know, quality or 
operations people that have to come in. They have to actually synthesize through all these device alerts and figure out, okay, do I need to intervene here? Do I not need to intervene here? Do I need to notify the customer or the carrier? And effectively before long, to your point on ROI, you know, if I'm the pharmaceutical company, I'm already spending a million or two on devices. Now I got to spend a couple more million on labor surrounding all of these devices and actually extracting value from my visibility program. It's not scalable, right? So it's, it's somewhat analogous. It's not a perfect analogy. So I apologize beforehand, but if you're talking about shippers outsourcing or hiring carriers and 3PLs and 4PLs or running their own fleet, right? Once you start running your own fleet, you, you run into a lot more complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it, so, so it's not a perfect analogy, but you know, bringing in visibility, as you, as you said, doesn't cure the, the issues that you're having. It just points you to where it's happening. And then it's a very, you can get as complex as you want to in-house on trying to, to analyze that, but that's not your core business. That's not what you should be wasting your time on, right? That's absolutely right. It's not your core business. And the, the secondary part to that is there's so much data from a from a volume data perspective with, with each and every ship, just from devices. And then when you yeah. factor in all of the third-party data now that's available for, for free or for cheap, um, the the combinations of multivariable analysis and extracting actual real patterns and correlations you can't do that with um, with you know just linear kind of basic calculations it does require very advanced machine learning to actually do this and um, yeah I mean a, a lot of the companies a lot of the end users you know the, the pharmaceutical companies the um, even the service providers the carriers they're not data science companies right they're they're set up uh, to yeah. do what they do best, which is build product, make products, um, distribute on the product, ship products. Yeah. So, so show. yeah. Well, and the other part is I think you, you can't be the judge, jury, and executioner either, right? Like, yeah. sure, some some service providers could effectively um, come out with maybe their own iteration of trying to quantify risk or prediction. But we all know, you know, service providers the last thing they're going to do is be forthcoming about what's going on within their network. That's their IP. Um, they're not going to share too much detail about their distribution and, and the operation within their distribution. It has to be coming from a third party. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It, it does, yeah. You're exactly right about that. Um, this is an interesting business. How did you get into it? Kind of what were you doing before and what was the aha moment saying, I, this is a, a problem that needs to, or I have a solution. This is a problem that needs to be fixed. I have a solution. And you know what? I think I can make it happen. Yeah, I, I have maybe just short of a decade of enterprise experience prior to this. Um, I, I spent the early part of my career working for a large um, Fortune 200 industrial manufacturer, Cummins. 
in their supply chain strategy group. And after that, I spent a little over three years in strategy and operations consulting. Um, and, and I did that with two of the big four firms, KPMG and PwC. Um, pretty broad spectrum of experience there, predominantly financial due diligence, and then about a year and a half specifically focused in supply chain optimization. And in that time within the supply chain, um, I had also spent um, that time predominantly working in the life sciences and, and healthcare space. So okay. I, I got to see firsthand exposure to a lot of the digital transformation um, initiatives they were making at that time um, into tangential technology. I mean, it included ERP systems, TMS systems, but also at that time, they were starting to make heavy investments into visibility and risk. So, you know, these consulting teams and, and that I was a part mm -hmm. of, we were oftentimes on the receiving end of a lot of that data. And so we got to see firsthand a lot of the, um, the drawbacks in missing data and data that, that isn't all that valuable. And, um, that was really the genesis for the idea behind, you know, um, I guess coming out with, uh, this device agnostic platform that helps companies really contextualize and extract meaning from their data. Uh, and, and we do that to a heavy degree around risk and, and prediction. Um, my co-founder brings kind of the startup and the, the product experience to the venture. So he, um, he, he had actually started a company out of grad school. Um, he, he went to Brown. He, he started a company with a few of his uh, classmates. And, and that company ended up um, going through um, a licensing exit uh, some years back. So, um, yeah, we, we ended up teaming up. And, uh, and here we are just a few years later. That is great. That is a great story. So uh, do, do you have more of a finance background or engineering background? You're talking about financial due diligence that you're doing. Uh, when you started out, do you come have that, 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 that not spin on things, but do you frame everything as a financial problem or, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I, I do come from a finance and econ background. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even so you think even, like an economist, right? It, it, everything kind of roots back into because I, I come with finance background. I kind of I, I, my my root thing is is financial for whatever reason. I can't get away from it. I suppose. Yeah, I think I think the one thing, the one one of the good things about consulting is you really get a good problem solving framework really trained into your into your brain, right? So you. You approach yep. problems in a in a very open format with the understanding that um, there's really almost never any absolutes. There's there's never an all or nothing or one solution yep. um, that fits. Uh, almost almost every single problem has multiple solutions from multiple perspectives, and you're very cognizant of that. But um, I, I would say even in my early experience um, in in supply chain and supply chain strategy, um, a lot of my work did focus around you know quant um, heavy work and and mm -hmm. a lot of it. So, um, yeah, I think I think bits of finance were certainly sprinkled into both my um, early experience in supply chain as well as my latter experience in consulting. Um, but I'm not like I'm not going to be the you know I'm yeah. they're not going to bring me on to do an M and A deal to uh, yeah. I not deep finance. I would say I, I'm covered by the basics pretty well, but um, yeah. certainly not a not a specialist. And, and part of uh, PackSafe and, and what you guys do is. It's de-risking, right? Can it, is that de-risking and, and selling on ROI, which is nice finance, layman's finance right there. Is the, so 
ROI. And that's what you lead in. I know that's what we all lead into, but I, I think it's for you guys, it's much more of a, a direct value prop um, ROI than a lot of other industries or services um, like, like brokerage, right? ROI, I, I guess I could save you money, right? You know, but I might screw up everything yeah. else downstream with like deliveries and things like that. So it's, it's, it's kind of sometimes an emotional buy, but um, let's talk about ROI a little bit. Yeah. So I, so ROI is a big and heavy part of the close, right? So it's like we, we, we don't lead um, in the, in the early stages of the process. We don't come out and say, you're going to get, you know, five X ROI on, on your investment with PackSafe. We typically, you know, we, we try to humanize what we do as much as possible. So um, for example, you know, if, if you go to probably 99 out of 100 um, pharmaceutical companies, most of them will do activities like um, temperature lane risk mapping. Um, they, they don't know, you know, they, they have hundreds, in some cases, thousands of shipping lanes. And within all of these shipping lanes, a, a shipping lane is one unique origin destination pair. Um, they, they have, mm -hmm. they don't know which, which lanes are risky, which ones are not risky and, and better yet, why, why are they risky? Um, are they, are there carrier performance issues on a particular lane? Um, are there IOT device issues? Is there dwell time at the port, recurring temperature issues, shelf life getting too close to zero, right? There's, there's a big spectrum of, of issues that occur within the supply chain, but they, they don't even know which lanes are risky or, or, or you know, then further why. And they pay service providers a lot of money to actually go out and conduct these temporary temperature lane mapping data studies where, you know, over a period of three months, four months, five months, they'll attach an unlimited number of devices onto the same lane. And they're going to map out the universe of routes that this particular lane has. So from a carrier perspective, what, are, you know, if I, if I'm going from Brussels to Louisville, Kentucky, what are the universe of waypoints that I go through? Yeah, from point A to point Z. And then within those within those routes, what are the specific waypoints? Which airports, right? What is it leg routes? Is it road routes? And typically these have to follow some sort of SOP, but nobody truly knows how how these shipments are completed. We can ingest, you know, historical IoT data and map this out momentarily. Um, yep. so it's automatic. And and with each waypoint, with e whether it's an in-transit leg or a static leg, we provide the exact risk score. And then what's driving that risk specifically, right? Very, very mm -hmm. granular. What does that lane stability look like over time? What would happen if I compare this route to this route going through a different um, airport? And then what would happen if I incorporate some additional variables into the analysis, like packaging or carrier performance, yep. right? So we typically try to humanize the problem from the get-go. And then towards, you know, the end of the sales process, um, we'll circle back to ROI, which is, you know, th there's a number of inputs to ROI. Yeah. And I, I think one of those, uh, those is a story, right? It's like, well, okay. So if you guys want to do this yourself, this is the headcount you need. These are the average salaries that you need. These are the systems you need. This is how you're going to have to learn how to do this. And this is your time frame to, to get that done. Um, I, I think most most companies aren't interested in, in doing it themselves. Once once you really start putting pen to paper 
and finding out, you know, okay, this is how many times we need to fail before we get it right. You know, and it's going to be a, a typical uh, project that, is, that has a time frame of a year that turns into five years and, and about five times the budget that you allocate for it if you try to do it yourself. Well, b- believe it or not, a, a good a good percentage of our customers, by the time they engage with us, they've tried to build it. They've tried it, yeah. Once. Um, at, at least once they've tried to build it themselves. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's that multiple. even better annually. It's, it's at multiples of, of the cost of, you know, one, one year of access to our platform. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. you know, it, yes, it goes back to the point of core competency as, you know, typically companies will, um, kind of try to stick to what they're best at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think, um, I think in the companies have already, oh, sorry. So the, the companies who ever tried it, that, that that's where you really get the human emotion, right? Because, oh. you know, think about all the pain you went through. Think about all the meetings that you set through discussing this that weren't productive whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's the, when, when we talk about pain points, that would be a huge pain point if you tried to do this and, and discontinued it because you couldn't get it right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, at that point, if, especially if they tried to build it already, yeah, uh, it becomes so relatable and you know, it, it, it does make the sales process considerably easier because, um, they, they understand exactly immediately what yeah. the value is, what to look for. They already have the ROI framework in their heads. Um, and, and in some other cases, you know, they've maybe tried, um, other, uh, other platforms, right. Mm-hmm. Um, to solve for parts of the of a similar thing, um, and, and in some cases it works out great, in other cases it doesn't work out at all. Um, but again, they're already familiar with the framework, yeah. with the decision framework, with the ROI framework, with the onboarding framework and support. They know what to expect, and it makes the uh, the sale much easier. I, I think back in 2016, 2017, whenever ELDs were coming online, um, I started calling it the, the tsunami of of data. Tsunami of data that is this hitting and visibility really blew up about that point too, to where you have all this data from ELTs, all this data from visibility, you know, more data coming online and it's almost too much to digest for, for most people, right? You, you kind of have to pick out what's useful, what's not useful at all. And that is, that, that takes a lot of time. So if we're talking about meta data if that's the right term for it do do you consider what you guys kind of do like metadata um is that a term that you use or do you use something else um well i i don't know that we use metadata internally um certainly maybe externally in some very specific capacities Mm -hmm. we we typically use you know iot data as direct from you know device data maybe third party or um um support data uh, to to get um, other types of non IoT data, mm-hmm. internal, external data, passive data, active data. There are a lot of filters that we certainly use with regards to data, and and then there's data that we make ourselves through the combination mm-hmm. of different data sources. Um, yes. For example, you know, th- there's I, I I don't know of any real capability on the market today that can accurately predict temperature excursions. Um, there have been groups that have tried. But they require mm-hmm. two sensors. They require a payload sensor, and then they require an external sensor to calculate ambient temperature. In our case, we only require the internal payload sensor. 
we have a reverse engineered model that actually calculates expected ambient temperature. And it's th that's essentially a key part of the accuracy of the model. It's that calculation is very, very accurate. So that's not data that exists anywhere today. That's mm -hmm. data that we have uh, come up with out of the combination of various other data sources that we're bringing together. And this is a great segue because these combinations of data sources creating something that is actionable or something that, that skips a step in the process, uh, especially in the, the hardware, I want to ask you what inning, if we use baseball terms, right? Because this sounds a lot like Moneyball to me. Um, are we in the first inning of, of harnessing all this data that is coming in to creating things like reverse engineering uh, the data set that you're just talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, it's all rolling. Are we in third inning? Are we, you know, where, where are we? Are we still in, in batting practice? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's somewhat relative to the time horizon that you're looking at and how, how long you expect the world to be around in its current form. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, maybe other variables, like how, how quickly we continue to progress in, in tangential areas like quantum computing. But I, I think, you know, to your to your point, I mean, if, if you want to try and put it into a, a metaphor like that, yeah, I, I'd say we're probably in the first, the, the, the bottom of the first. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, we're just now starting to build out the infrastructure to yeah. be able to accurately and, and effectively, efficiently take in this data. What we're seeing, you know, it's funny, I was talking to my, to, to one of our, um, our, our head of data science a, a few months ago. And we were tr really trying to understand, you know, what, why, why can't one of our large customers build this? And, and I think there's a couple of kind of rationales that we can go down. And, and a lot of it has to do with um, maybe the, the, the kind of um, data science talent they attract. But, but a lot of it has to do with how their data is just structured at a very basic level. It's, um, a lot of it is, is structured in a very inefficient way to to do the kinds of things that we do with the data. And, um, and, and that whole thing, that whole structure has to go through a major overhaul to just be able to set yourself up to start building actual data science and machine learning models and be able to extract value from that. And that's a good point that that side of it, because that, that gets us into another narrative of, of corporations from the startups to fortune 500 is that, uh, you're using legacy systems, bolting on new systems, siloed data uh, within organizations. And for other business reasons, there's always talk about um, integrations internally, right? Integrating the data sets internally to, to make decisions um, for finance, for sales, for, for, for other things. Mm -hmm. uh, but but that, that's a constant problem in every company is synthesizing all these different departments and, and where you, you're collecting data itself, not even for this purpose, but for any purpose. Right. That, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think startups maybe have um, a, a little bit less of that problem. They don't have as much, um, as many departments, as much, you know, really fight through. And, um, you know, most of the data that, that we have at this point is all pertaining to product and delivery of product. Um, mm -hmm. Really, when you get to l later stage areas of really scaling and you know, really uh, 
getting to be a thousand, ten, you know, five thousand person yeah. company, that's where a lot of the those complexities and different departments and et cetera really comes about. But um, it does, you, you know, it's that that curse of success almost, right? Is that at some point you, you, your sell CRM or your sell system has to talk to finance or has to talk to these systems really have to, to, to come together and they've just been scraped together as you grow. But the nice thing is, I, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, I think earlier you said how much data there is, right? And, and data sources and and really picking out what's useful. I think machine learning is making it much more realistic to cut out the mm-hmm. noise and, and you know there's m- multiple applications for that certainly you can do that with your internal data sharing practices but yeah. in our particular case we do that on the product side we um you know one of our risk scoring capabilities customer facing effectively focuses on cutting out device alerts that don't matter where yeah uh, you d- there's no risk to the product there's you know no risk to the customer um, but yet you still need a team, an intervention team there to investigate each and every alert, right? And um, so, yeah, I think I think um, data science is making it easier to uh, to at least cut down on the amount of um, erroneous alerts or, or yes. unimportant alerts that you respond to. When when did you uh, when, when was PackSafe started? Yeah. Um, we, we I guess you can say we sort somewhat had two births, but. Um, October 2018 is when Articles of okay. Incorporation were um, were started. I think we had operated under one set of assumptions for the first 18 months. And mm-hmm. uh, through those first 18 months, we, we realized, I, I guess I can tell you what assumptions we operated under. We had assumed that the market was still not sophisticated enough to, uh, or not far along enough in their visibility adoption journey um, to understand in full what the value of risk quantification and prediction is. So we had assumed we would have to provide our own sensor, our own device to the customer as a customer acquisition vehicle. Create your own market, kind of. Yeah. To, to speak a common language, to tell them that we're mm-hmm. going to help them with a dot on the map. And then we're going to introduce a lot more of these um, value-add capabilities slowly over time. But we realized two things, I think, in, in middle to late 2020. Um, number one was there were enough device providers out there um, that we, and and the customer was becoming sophisticated enough. You know, COVID certainly accelerated the adoption mm-hmm. of real time. Um, and, and then, you know, cost of devices has been going down, cost of hardware going down. Cellular infrastructure has gotten infinitely better. So device performance and consistency over time um, is improving. So now, you know, we don't need the device. We customers know exactly um, after implementing these these devices. They know exactly the value that we bring because they're having to do a lot of that manually today. Number one, um, number two. We also realized it's actually really hard to sell devices into pharma, despite you know d- it from our. I've I've always said dating back to 2018 when we went out or 2019 when we went out and white labeled our own device that hardware is a commodity. All the devices are the same. We all use the same components and, you know, manufacturers and there's very little difference. But, you know, I, 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 I think um, I, I gained an appreciation for uh, the device manufacturers that, um, that are doing well and selling at scale because selling into pharma is, is not easy. You need 
supply chain infrastructure, parallel mm-hmm. dual sourcing. You need global customer sales and support. And then there is a lot of actual discrepancy in device performance. Um, we have a device scorecard within our platform where you can actually see how one type of device is performing compared to another type of device in different parts of the world. Um, and and what we mean, you know, what, there's certain aspects to performance, but um, the point is, I think the good devices consistently perform well, and they've figured out a lot of the things that you know we, for example, would have taken for granted, such as um, recharging the devices, the reverse logistics part of the devices, mm-hmm. the whole like management beyond visibility, the whole management and the process and onboarding and making sure all the devices are fully charged and annually calibrated and all this stuff um, that great device companies do well. Um, so for those two reasons, um, we, we dropped the device piece in, um, I would say late, late 2020 and came out with a fully device agnostic platform, um, in, in 2021. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, would it be fair to say that you kind of partners or friends with the device makers instead of competitors, which should benefit you. That's right. We're BFFs. Yeah. Uh, this, This is good. Yeah, no, it, it it certainly didn't start off that way. We, you know, we went directly to the manufacturers first and mm-hmm. they have control towers where they bring in their device data and, and we get that same device data directly from that control tower. But um, in other cases, yeah, the, I mean, the devices have, device manufacturers have figured out that, um, that we are a friend and we're here to help and we can certainly help them bolster their own platforms. And this is an interesting lesson because sometimes you think you have to go out and create that demand. But once you recognize that demand's already there and you're not adding any real value, or I want to say that you're going out with with the, what what is it, a lost leader position kind of to to grab attention and, and, and customers to then sell in your, 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 higher dimension or higher higher cost goods, higher margin goods. Sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes it's it's better to, uh, to let others do that who are better at, uh, geared to it. That's their core business, right? We go back to what's your core business. Uh, if you don't have to do non-core business, it's better to stay out of it. That's that's right. And, and actually, the, the point you made earlier, um, you know, I, I had a, a wrong assumption about the market where I thought uh, when we when we launched our kind of the you know our relaunched our device agnostic side of the platform in in 2021 and really we, we I guess we launched more commercially early 2022. Um, the assumption was we were going to have to go directly to all of the manufacturers and hit some sort of critical mass of manufacturers, whether that's mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40, before they make enough noise and go and beat down the door of their service providers and say, I need you to provide this. Most of these manufacturers, certainly, they, they would elect to purchase this through a partner service provider. Yeah. Um, but but no service providers today really have this, this full suite of capability. So the, the next thing we found after we landed a few um, on the manufacturing side was service providers came to us and said, we need this capability um, and, and, you know, to our surprise, we found that there were service, in some cases, service providers that have been trying to build this for three or four years. 
Um, in, in other cases, uh, th you know, th there was a very accelerated, um, I, I think for a long time, the message around visibility in the industry has been real-time visibility, nice to have. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it on my high problem lanes. I'll mm. do it on my high value product. Um, but it's not, you know, it's it's on less than 10 or 20% of my my stuff, right? And 2020 came around and 2021, especially, and everything accelerated. And and in combination with those other factors that I talked about with dropping device and hardware costs, um, it improved cellular infrastructure. The adoption for real-time IoT has continued to accelerate very rapidly. And, um, and especially within pharma, um, you now have pharma saying, Okay, I'm I'm going from no real time to partial real time to now virtually everything is going to be real time, and I think that will continue to accelerate as um, hardware innovation continues to evolve. We're we're probably two or three years away from a an actual cellular enabled just sticker label, right? And there's a lot of concepts already floating around. A lot mm -hmm. of Bluetooth enabled. They're not operational. They're not ready for prime time. Um, you know, despite, I think everybody wants it to get there, but once it yeah. does, um, you know, visibility is going to be so cheap that everything, um, almost everything is going to, is going to be tagged at the product level, which, you know, certainly plays, it's a macro trend that plays in our favor. It, it really does because then you have the cost going down on, on that side of the equation. Um, but with services like you, the, the ROI value Right, or the value of having that data and being able to predict and to solve real business problems with the more loads that are visible that you have the state of for the the better your your back end machine becomes and the more value it, it generates. It's it's kind of like that 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 seesaw, you know, costs are going down and values going up on the back end. Uh, it does play right in your favor. That's right. It's uh, it's an equilibrium, but it's also dangerous because, you know, <laughs> we, customers will will get a taste of it, mm. and it very quickly becomes the expectation. And yeah, <laughs> we almost forget a year ago we we didn't know any you know uh, hardly anything about how our devices were performing in our network, mm -hmm. where the risk was, which lanes were risky, and why. Um, now they know. Now they want the next thing, which is I, I need to know exactly how what what action I need to take to resolve this issue, right? Like I need to tie it back full circle. I need to mm -hmm. basically take all the guesswork out of it. And, you know, we we usually, um, th there's, I think there's, um, there's that expectation that's created that um, yeah. you have to get there very quickly. But in our particular case, we understand you have to crawl before you walk and you have to walk before you run and you have to build out this contextualization infrastructure and sure, sure, A, you can automate a few things. Um, and over time, you'll be able, to, be able to automate a lot more. But it's not all going to happen overnight. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, I guess, the, uh, the drawback is, um, I think, what people want or what people expect evolves very rapidly. It does, especially in, in times like this. It, it, it does. Well, Ilya, th thanks for stopping by. Put that coffee down here. Um, and if if our if our list, listeners audience wants to reach out and learn more about PackSafe and, and what you guys are doing over there, what's the best method? Uh, look us up on LinkedIn. Give us a follow. 
um, email me at uh, Ilya at packsafe.com. And um, yeah, we, we, we would love to hear from you. Go to Orbad. Perfect. Perfect. And that's going to wrap it for this. Put that coffee down. Uh, you can find our podcast on our channel, Put That Coffee Down, or on Freightcast, which has all the Freight Waves podcasts on it, and download it there. Like, follow, leave us a written review. We always love that. And um, until the next time, go out and make some sales, make some margin, and enjoy the summer. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. <laughs>